word of God. Acts 10, verses 1 through 48. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance, and he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. And he called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, Three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, Why you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. So therefore to Joppa, send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, 
Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning with Galilee in the after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us, who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to baptize in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. The word of God given as a gift to the people of God. Peter raises a man that could not walk. Luke, four verses. Peter raises a woman from the dead. Luke, eight verses. The gospel comes to the Gentiles. 48 verses in chapter 10. 18 more explicit verses in chapter 11. And, and honestly, if you were to try to go back and, and look at how much time and devotion is dedicated to that. Like, I don't know when the last time you just thought, wow, how did God love Gentiles? I don't know how long it's been since you've been shocked by that. Amazed. Can you believe that God loves Gentiles? Anyone else just kind of overwhelmed by that this morning? Or do you just presume upon that? Well, yeah, because I'm a Gentile. And this morning, what we get to do is to look back at the church's history in a very real way and, and see just how foundational and how fundamental God's love and God's grace and God's activity and God's purpose is for the church. Because if you and I aren't like careful and if we don't intentionally go back and retrace the hand of God, we can wrongly presume some things about how the gospel got to us. And we'll lose the shock and we'll lose the importance, and we'll lose the reason, and we'll lose so much. It's, it's when we, we begin to believe that somehow um, there is an entitlement to us. 
And, and when, whenever entitlement creeps into our thinking, I would argue specifically in a spiritual dimension, we lose the ability to worship. We lose the ability to, to truly understand like who God is and what his plan really is all about. For example, Andrew and I have been answering this question a lot lately. How do you allow your children to move so far away? We recently um, welcomed back one of our teams that went to Haiti for a week to do ministry, to let others know about God's goodness, and lots of things happened. So let me just make it very, very clear. Like, the Bible doesn't give us a way of looking at missions or even the mission of God as though, here's why we went to Poland. Here is why we're sending Sam and Rachel to Japan. Here is why we did a ministry in, um, in Haiti. Here is why we're sending college students to Spain. We did not do it because we had something that they needed. Like, I want you to think about that for a moment, because that's what I think most of us think. Even if we're just being lazy in our thinking. Yeah, we have something. And they need it. And that's not why we went. Because we had something that they needed. The reason why we go around the world and even across the street is because we have been given something to share. That's not, well, you're saying the same thing. No, I'm not saying the same thing at all. The first one presumes upon the gift. And the second one just stops. And this is what the church had to do. This is what Peter had to do. He had to stop and remember Israel's history. It's not, hey, Peter, look at, what, look at what we have. Let's not think about where we got it from. Let's not think about how we got it. Look at what we have. And there are people out there that need it. Indeed, I've even kind of read this text. And um, I now understand that God shows no partiality. Well, I'm glad he finally figured that out. Because the whole Old Testament's all about partiality. The whole plan is all about, I'm glad God finally got in step with the times. And I hope the church follows suit. That is so not the story of the Bible. And it is not the story of our heritage, of our faith, of our people. It's what happens when we presume upon the gifts that have been given to us. And we never stop and ask, how did I get this? How was this given to me? I did this in first service. I was surprised by how many Jewish people are in our audience. Raise your hand if you're a Gentile. Raise your hand if you're a Gentile. Keep it high. I want to see which one of you are Jewish. Got a... Okay, good. More than, more than first service. Um, yeah, it was kind of interesting. I didn't, I didn't realize there were so many Jewish people with us, which God, God bless that we all come together like this. Uh, I actually have a friend who's coming, and you might have seen some posters and some of the slides. Um, Uri Goldflam, who is a good friend of mine. We have developed a, a serious relationship together, and um, his ancestry is, is Jewish. He lives in Jerusalem. 
And uh, he is our tour guide whenever we go over there. And he will be coming next Sunday. And the following week, we're going to have a number of opportunities for, um, for us to learn about the Bible, uh, about the Bible lands from that perspective. He is not a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday, Uri and I are going to have a conversation. And we've entitled the talk, A Jew and a Christian Talk About Jesus. And I'm really looking forward to that opportunity for us to, uh, he's a little nervous, which I get, right? I, I told him that we're, we're, we're uh, well, I told him we're Christians, right? I told him we're followers of Jesus Christ. So we, we're excited about him coming. And, and there's still so much, hear me, that we can learn. And there's so much that he can learn. When we go back and we trace our history, though, and this is why it's good to always remember the big picture. The big picture is what informs us. The big picture is what Peter is going to be drawn back to. Peter doesn't go, wow, look at this radically new day where God has finally decided to use plan B because plan A was not working. That is not a biblical approach to scripture. But Peter knows and he's beginning to discover the implications of the fact that he's not going somewhere because he has something to give, but that he has been given something. And it was a gift to him that he received that by faith and that the work of Jesus Christ came to him as a gift. The history of, of, of the world, the history of salvation goes something like this. God made the, the world and God made all humanity. And all humanity, no matter, the, no matter the color, no matter the gender, it actually says that in the beginning God created them male and female. In his image, in the image of God, he created them. That's what the Bible teaches. That should deeply inform how we look at one another. That every person you see was made from the beginning in the image of their creator, God. Humanity rebelled against God, and God had a plan from the beginning. He's not trying to catch up. He's not lost. He's not confused. But from the beginning, he had a plan. And so he called this one man named Abram from what now is known as modern-day Iraq, if you want to know where our beginnings begin. And he said, I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave the land. And I want you to go to the land where I'm going to show you, for I'm going to make you into a great nation. Kings will come from you. And actually, from your seed, Paul makes a big deal out of this in Galatians, from your seed, singular, meaning from one of your descendants, I will in fact bless all the nations of the world. This is Genesis 12. Not Matthew 1, not Revelation 21. No, Genesis 12. And God takes this man and does exactly what he promised and made him into a great nation. And from him, indeed, kings came. And God promised that one of those kings would, in fact, be the blessing of all people in the world. This is the God that we love. This is the God that, 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 that made us. This is the God that made us in his image. This is the God that put up with our rebellion. And this is the God that pursued us. And this is the God that then found us. And this is the God in Jesus Christ who died in our place. And 
in, in the Bible just describes this God and the depths of his love and the depths of his sovereignty and the depths of his plan and purpose being foundational and fundamental to the mission of the church. I think we forget that. And so we think about mission as like somewhere we're going to go. And we forget, here's the shock. How, how did it get here? You ever wondered about that? Like, how did it get here? Forget going to Poland. How did it get to Oklahoma? God? Is he not good? Like, I, I know there are people out there that you just, I can't imagine them ever coming to faith. Yeah, I'm, I, somebody, if they were thinking, thought that about you. God has a plan and a purpose. That's good to remember because as a church, like, it's not our job to try to figure out how to be more missional. It's not our job to try to figure out how we can create and recreate and construct and reconstruct social change and justice. No. You know what's our job to do? Is to recognize the story, which then fundamentally, foundationally, like informs and forces us to deal with the proper application of what God is doing in the world. And so what you and I get to do, and hear me, I know it's complicated and we're, we're, we're human and so we're not always going to get it right, but the Holy Spirit is leading us. And so I genuinely believe that big picture, the Spirit and the people of God are going to get it right. As you and I try to trace, retrace the hand of God in the world. And that's what's happening in the book of Acts. That's why like four verses for someone that is healed Eight verses for someone that is raised from the dead. Multiple chapters and even later on in the New Testament, whole books designed around the ultimate plan and purposes of God. And it, it, it actually, one of the phrases that's used is this, the mystery of Christ. Like what's the mystery of Christ? We're going to answer that today. What's the mystery of Christ? Is that like what is known as the incarnation that God would put on human flesh? Now that's mysterious. No. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about something else that is truly a, a mystery. Not that it can't be understood, but that it is something that was actually held to a particular time and now is made known. And that's what's happening here in Acts chapter 10. And what God wants the church to know, what you and I get the privilege of, of discovering this morning in our text, 48 verses. And what you and I need to remember is that God is always at work. You know that? We go to bed, get some rest, get ready for another day. God is at work. You and I look at the clock. Look at that. It's almost 5 o'clock. Wow. I'm going to go home. I'm done. And I'm, I'm leaving work here today. I'm not taking anything home. I'm going to go home and just Relax. God does not. It's the weekend. <laughs> Love the weekend. When we can literally just get some rest at least. And God does not. 
You realize how important it is for you and I to recognize that there is something that has been given to us and there is something that God is doing and that we get to follow after, that we get to um, pursue and enjoy seeing God and his plan and his purpose being revealed in front of us. And, And what a joy it is to realize that you and I actually can rest because God is at work. Like God is at work. And, and that's what we actually see over and over again in this text. It's not described like, hey, by the way, Peter, I want you to know this. It's interesting. It just kind of runs underneath the entire narrative. Look at verses 4 and 5, right? See, we might think that what the church is doing is, okay, how do we reach all the nations? They don't even understand what that means. Most likely, they're kind of thinking we're going to reach the Jews and all the nations, That's not what Jesus said. The whole world is going to hear. I want you to go and I want you to make disciples of all the nations. And and, and I love this, that the plan of God, the purposes of God is always more than we can understand or appreciate. And that's why it's good to just pursue him and then rejoice when we see exactly what he does. Verses 4 and 5, look at this. Cornelius is praying and this angel appears to Cornelius and he says your prayers and your alms which is your gifts have ascended as a memorial before God and now send men to Joppa why because God already knows where Peter is God already has it all figured out send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter he's lodging with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea it's like God knows it's like God knows everything it's like he's at work Like, how many times have you prayed and you're literally wondering if God's listening? And how many of you wait on him as though somehow he's the one that's delaying or not aware or not on top of this? Is it just me? God, can we we get moving on this? Can we get, we really need to, I love this verse. Jump down to verses 19 and 20. I love this. Again, reminds us of just how God is continually at work. So this vision happens, right? God reveals to Peter, I want to give you insight into what's going on. And the sheet comes down, all these animals. God says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter, because he's been tested before and has failed. Three times this happens on both the first test and this one. Rise, kill, and eat. I've never eaten anything uncommon or common. I've never eaten anything that's unclean. Peter, do not call something common that I have pronounced to be clean. By the way, it's not about like niceness. That's about a reality. It's not about Peter needs, needs to learn to be nice or more kind. It's no, Peter needs to understand like who God is and his plan and his prerogative and his purpose. So it's not just, hey, Peter, lighten up. It's Peter, I have spoken, get on board. You see the difference? When God speaks, we'll deal with this more next week in chapter 11. It's, God, God's not looking for our like approval. The question is, are we going to understand what he is already doing Verse 19, so while Peter is pondering the vision, because here he's trying to catch up to God. The wind has moved, and Peter is trying to pursue now. So as Peter is pondering the vision, 
The spirit then said to him, behold, three men are looking for you because I'm ahead of you on this. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation for I have sent them. And again, we see like the, the, the plan of God or the story of God moving and then the church of God responding to what the Spirit of God has already done, to what the mind of God has always purposed. I don't know about you, but man, I'm just, I'm grateful for that very simple reminder. Like, I'm grateful that all of my friends' salvation is not dependent upon me and me trying to figure out how to share it with them. You ever live there? Like, I'm so grateful that, like, the mission and the purpose of the church is not dependent upon, like, my my dedication, my ingenuity, my creativity. But that God is already moving. God is already answering prayers. My mentor said to me years ago, I, I quote this a lot, I'm reminded of my, I reminded to myself even more. When Andrew and I finished college, we moved to Illinois. I don't know if you've heard, but there, the gospel has gone to Illinois. And there are some churches, there are Christians actually now in the state of Illinois. I know, shocking, right? Truly shocking, but there are. And so we were going there to this small little town called Ipeva. You've probably never heard of it, but the gospel has got there. And people have responded to the good news of Jesus Christ there. And so Andrea and I didn't even know there was an Ipeva. And before we didn't know there was a Stillwater. And here we are on our way to this small little church in Illinois. And my mentor said to me, now Jim, remember, remember, remember. That the gospel was there before you got there. And it will remain there long after you're gone. He taught me Acts, so he knew it. We're not bringing the gospel to Japan. We're not bringing the gospel. I know, I know we use that language, but if, if we were more intentional or more careful, we, we would recognize what God's hand and what God's purpose is doing, and it's far more. Hey, Peter, here, here's what I'm doing, and I just, I'm, I'm kind of like inviting you, and I'm, I'm using you in the, in, the, in the plan or in the purpose. See, that's the reason why we go across the street and around the world, is because God is called, because God has given to us, and we just stop and we hold this incredible gift of salvation in our hand, which comes by faith in Jesus Christ, not a goodness of our own that any of us would boast. And we look at this, and we don't just go, wow, like I, I, I got this somehow, and now I should share it with others. It's like, I'm here to proclaim, I'm here to respond to the goodness, because I have now understood that this has come to me as a gift. That's what Peter is coming to grips with. Look at verses 34 and 35. Peter looks at this vision and God's command, do not call anything unclean, that which I have made clean. Verse 34, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Like, even though the Old Testament makes it clear that that's the case. Peter's still trying to figure out what God has already decided. I, I promise, you, you can't... <laughs> You can't offer like a, a way of God or a, a, a version of God that isn't already true and powerful. That we are chasing after a deeper understanding of who he is from his word. 
And when we find it, it's like this, this revelation to us, but we never came up with that. That God shows no partiality. Look at this in verse 35. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Wow. God saw Cornelius. God was dealing with Cornelius. God saw his family. God saw his desire to pursue him. And God didn't go, oh, if only I could figure out a way to help. And what I love about this text is it causes me to ask, like, would I get that excited at this incredible discovery of God's plan and God's purpose for all the nations? But I don't have a gift so much that everybody else needs. As much as it is that I'm just still overwhelmed by the fact that somehow the good news of Jesus Christ, the salvation of my eternal being, found me. Or do you just presume upon that? God is always at work. Verses 42 and 43, 40, 42 and 43, Peter is, is, is showing that, notice the continuity. In the book of Acts, this is a really big deal for them. They want you to know that this is not a plan B. This is not God changing a different direction. It's, got, it's not God finally getting it, but that this plan of all the nations and all the world has always been at the heart of God. And so he says this in verse 42. Peter, describing to Cornelius what the church was already about. And he, God, commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one, Jesus, appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all, speaking about Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. God is, in fact, always at work. And what Peter and the rest of the disciples are doing, what you and the rest of the, the disciples today are doing, is we are testifying, we are giving um, awareness, we are drawing attention to the fact that God has already moved, the fact that God has already demonstrated his love to the world through Jesus Christ. And you and I are, are called by the Holy Spirit to be swept up in that movement, to continue something that didn't start in the book of Acts, started long before that. It even started before the time when God said, Abram, I want you to leave. It actually started in a garden. And God said, this is the rebellion, but I'm not going to give up on my creation. And one day, all of this will be made right. And all people will be blessed. So the church responds to that. We're the ones that then look at our plan. We look at our purpose. We look at, um, at the people that, that God loves and God cares for us. We look at everyone as an image bearer of God. And we recognize them in, in light of the grace and the mercy that he is desiring to extend to them. The, the second thing that I think is important that we remember in, in this text is that God doesn't just move and then we hope to figure it out, but that God actually confirms his work. In our day and age, particularly over about the last few hundred years, 
we have become increasingly skeptical and hesitant to speak with any kind of authority or any kind of, um, of, of like a final word. We're, we're usually ones when we make statements, well, in my, in my opinion, well, at least how I perceive it. Well, you know what I kind of think? That's not how they speak in the Bible, by the way. They, they speak with, with rather certain terms. In our day of uncertainty, I, I think one of the reasons why it is so important that we then know the Word of God is so that we can then see when we can speak with certainty. That God, in, as He moves throughout history, doesn't just randomly pick people and then hope that we get it, but in the end, He then steps into time as He is crashing into families and cultures, as He is interrupting and upsetting whole systems and whole ways of living and thinking in nations. God is doing all of this for His glory, and He gives confirmation of this. Notice how Peter doesn't go, you know, well, theologically I was thinking about that and how Micah's text in chapter 3 relates to, listen, the word of God is going to give testimony to this. But notice what they say. Look at verses 47 and 48. They're not confused about what God is doing. God confirms his work. Peter says, and they're going to keep coming back to this statement in verse 47, when the Holy Spirit came upon Cornelius and his household. And by the way, if you notice, it says, like while Peter was speaking, he's continuing to talk, and God goes, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to inject myself here. Right? I love that. Peter says, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Implied answer, no. Like nobody can stop this. I love the reminder from a, old sermon I listened to years ago when a gentleman said, how can anyone say no when God is so clearly said yes? That's what's happening in this text. God's, God's not so much trying to enlighten Peter about just how he has some biases and some prejudices in his past. That's how we would with our absolute obsessive mentality around sociology and psychology and uh, the, the philosophy of religion. That's, that's the way that we look at it. In the Bible, God just does an amazing work because his spirit is like the wind and no one can contain it or control it. That's how the Bible speaks. We talk about phenomenologies of language and culture systems. And God says, yeah, I just move where I want to move. God's not trying to expand Peter's horizon on just how all people have value or worth in his name. God is foundationally and fundamentally pursuing the lost because he loves them and he cares for them. And the church can either be on board or not be on board with that. You want to know what's wrong with like racism and sexism and all of the other kind of isms that somehow puts like di different groups of people in different categories and manipulates and controls? You know what's wrong with that? It is fundamentally wrong. It's not that it's mean. It, it, can, it cannot find its roots at all in God, the image bearer of all humanity, and Jesus Christ the uniter of all people, making in himself not different classes of people based upon economic and racial backgrounds, 
but he has made the two one in Christ Jesus. And then what's really sad is as the church continues to follow like worldly ways to deal with this, I'm, I'm telling you the answer to the world's problems is found in the inclusive nature of God's salvation being offered to all people. And as a Gentile, absolutely shocked this morning that somehow I got in. How can I do anything but gratefully extend the story to someone else? And if there's any confusion about it, here's the answer. The Holy Spirit has already spoken. And the Holy Spirit fell upon Cornelius and his household. End of discussion. I like Peter's response. God has spoken. Now all we do is say amen and leave. We, we just say amen. Thank you. And he commanded them to be baptized, verse 48, in the name of Jesus Christ. And we have, in a very real sense, not the very beginning, but we have one more part of the story in which Jew and Gentile become a new people because of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. I don't know if that was for Peter's benefit or for theirs. So then what is our responsibility? What is, what is it that we are called to do? I'm, I'm telling you, and the rest of this service and then the rest of your life is, is, is called to live in the wake of what God has always been doing, and specifically what we see he was doing here in Acts chapter 10, is that we rejoice in the work of God. I've used this text so that, you know, people would understand that the gospel needs to go to other places. I've used the text for this. Hey guys, this is why we need to go to other parts of the world, because look at what God did. And I, I did it, and I never stopped long enough to reflect on the fact that somehow it got to me. Paul, Paul was just constantly amazed that the gospel like reached him. He didn't just presume upon God's grace. See, once we, once we stop and recognize, wow, how did the gospel come to me? And we realize like how helpless we are, then we can focus on just how good and gracious God is. This is how Paul says it in terms of rejoicing in the work. Ephesians chapter 3 beginning in verse 1, Paul says this, For this reason, he's going to give the reason here, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. God, God gave Paul a gift and then a responsibility to share that with others. And it always began by Paul going, wow, Jesus was so kind to me. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. And when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it is now, been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, this mystery is that the Gentiles, that's you and I, are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promises in Christ Jesus through the good news of the gospel. Through the gospel. But that's what we rejoice in. 
And until we stop and reflect upon that good news, we can never fully appreciate all that God has done for us. We can never with the right intentionality go until we stop and give thanks to God for the fact that he has already come, shown mercy to you and me.